You know, um, I, I want to begin today by asking you uh, the question that if you've ever really given thought to what the vision for your life is. Have you ever stood back and said, you know, what is it that I want my, my life to become? What is that vision? What is that sense of what my life can be all about? You know, we, we sang uh, in one of our songs today about being at the end of life and looking back. And what would you like to look back upon? Some of us are moving closer and closer to that reality, but uh, no matter who you are, God willing, you're going to get there. And what, what will have made that life meaningful and significant and good in the best sense? You know, some people pick a verse and they say, that verse captures what I want my life to be about. I don't know whether you've done that. Other people actually write, write a personal vision statement. And if you haven't done it, I would encourage you to do it. One sentence that captures what you intend or desire or long for your life uh, to be. And of course, as you remember that and as you repeat that, your life will move toward that dynamic. Well, in these, uh, this series, the I Am Statements of Jesus that we're looking at, not only uh, do we find out about the identity of Jesus and, and, and uh, who he said he was, who he claimed to be, incredibly important itself, we are also finding out about, about, about the fact that when he makes those statements, there are significant implications for our lives as a result. Have you begun to notice it? You know, we have a shepherd. Are we following? Are we hearing his voice? We have Jesus as the gate or the door through whom we enter into the, the sheepfold, into the kingdom, and, in, and through whom we go out to find life, life to the fullest, this incredible life Jesus promises to his people. And today's no different. We're going to find implications from Jesus when he said, I am the true vine, John 15. And I think out of this, this discussion, if you will, the Lord wishes to speak into our lives and say, hey, this is, this is what I'm calling you to. This is what I'm calling you to. So in that light, um, I, want us to, I want us to dig in, you know, both to the Old Testament and to Jesus' statement itself. It's so interesting to me, so interesting. In these first three statements, and I'm sure more to come, uh, Jesus' statements are rooted in his Bible, the Old Testament. Jesus took the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, as they're called now uh, in academic circles, uh, and he, he actually gave that full authority in his life. He believed that Bible to be fully inspired. He lived his life according to it. He said not one, you know, we would say, uh, you know, dot or cross, dotting the I's or crossing the T. Not a jot or tittle will be taken away from this. Every single bit of it is of God. And he would continually go back. And it's no different here when we try to understand when Jesus says, I'm the true vine. What's he talking about? Well, I'm going to read you a verse from Psalm 80, verses 8 and, Psalm 80, verses 8 and 9, yes. And it, it, it gives reference to the time when uh, God called the people of Israel out of Egypt. Listen to what it says. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. You know, what was going on in Jesus' mind, what was so common in his understanding and that of many, many people in the day that was that, that the vine was a representation of Israel, the people of God. You would see the, the vine, the symbol in various buildings and so forth in that day. Um, you know, it's kind of like the U.S. has the bald eagle. You know, you can imagine that eagle and its power. And what do we have in Canada? We've got the beaver or maybe the maple leaf. I think we need a better one, honestly. But you get the idea, the vine was the symbol that identified in people's minds the people of God. And then, though, we move to Isaiah 5, verses 1 to 7. And I want to read this. I want to take a little time in the Old Testament because this, uh, what I'm about to read to you is really, really important to understand what Jesus was saying about Israel 
Well, so let's just go to that right away. I will sing for the one love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out the wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I did for it when I looked for good grapes? Why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge I will, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make a wasteland, make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he, took, and, and he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed for righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. Whoa. <laughs> like, you can't read that. Hearing God speak into the lives of his people through the prophet and not go, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And it's into that context Jesus Christ comes along and he says, I am the true vine. You got it? You see, the people of Israel were created by God for a purpose. They were created to display the glory of God. They were, they were, they were created to do the work of God. They were, the, they were to be the, the instrument, if you would, through which the grace of God would flow and transform the world. And that vine failed. And God stepped away. And Jesus comes. And, and I want to tell you, the statement is a dramatic statement. <laughs> it's not you anymore, Israel. It's me. Like it, it's, it's substantial. It's not an entire nation anymore that's going to display the glory of God or do the work of God or transform the world or be the mechanism through which grace will flow. No, no, you guys, God has rejected you because of your unfaithfulness. You couldn't do it, nor can we ever do it, right? But in essence, Jesus is saying, I am replacing an entire nation. I am the true vine. I am the vine. Hmm. So let's read now John 15, 1 to 4, and we'll dig into our text. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that we'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, we'll stop there. Is the text already beginning to take on new meaning for you? Considering the, 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 the religious background, the, the background in which Jesus was speaking. Got to tell you, uh, the vine, vines were very, very common in Israel, right? Uh, it's like Heather and I were in Tuscany a couple of years ago, and we would drive uh, through the fields. Beautiful, beautiful country. You've probably seen the pictures, you know, of those cypress trees. Oh, just gorgeous. Driving a Mercedes. You know why? Because they messed up my car rental agreement and they gave me this beautiful black Mercedes. I felt like, you know, amazing. So I'm driving through Tuscany. It's like, this is, a, this is a miracle. This is craziness. But I'm driving through Tuscany, Heather and I, and field after field after field after field were filled with rows of vines, grapevines, wineries, one after the other after the other. This was Israel. 
It's just really, really, really common. And Jesus picks up this image, if you would. He uses this as, as an illustration of the fact that God wants to produce fruit from the vine. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's moving toward his crucifixion. He's saying, guys, I'm heading away. Who's going to carry on the work? Who's going to do this work so that the glory of God can be displayed, so that the grace of God can flow into the world? He's saying, you are. And I want you fruitful for me. <laughs> I want you to have impact for me. I want you to be productive for me. All right, and then verses 5 to 8 say this as we carry on. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do, say it with me, please, or for me. Nothing, nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, these words are just packed with meaning. There's so much in what Jesus is speaking to us here. But, you know, I want to go to uh, verse 16. We're going to jump over a bunch of, of, of words. And if, I want to point out to you, the, if, we, if we could put it this way, the first point of contact for your life in this text. So let me read verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I chose you and appointed you so that you might bear fruit. Why do you exist in Christ? Why has he chosen you? It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? <laughs> He's not here. He wants us to do what he said he would do. And he established this church, the new Israel, we call it through which the glory of God would be displayed in the world, through which the grace of God would flow, through which the power of God would move into this world and be transformative as the kingdom is built. Now, I, I don't know about you, but is that the way that you tend to think about why Jesus chose you? He did, you know. T touched on this last week. He chooses us, then we choose him. That's kind of how it works. The gift of faith is provided to us so that we can see and we believe. But I want to tell you, my friends, what Jesus is saying to us in terms of first point of contact is that he is calling us to a, a dramatic and radical reorientation of our lives in terms of our relationship with him, in terms of who we are, in terms of how we live our lives. You see, naturally, we have this idea that life is all about me. It's about my desires. It's about my wants. It's about my will. It's about my way. And Jesus comes along and said, uh, just wait a minute. It's actually about God and God's desires and God's will and his, his wants and his way for you. I have chosen you that you might fulfill my will. I have chosen you that might, you might do what I have been doing, Jesus said, that you might carry on the work that the world might be transformed. Now, when we come to Christ very often, and sometimes we stay in this place as well, we have the opposite orientation to life. We think that this faith, this Lord exists for us. You know, oh, I'm going to come to faith and I'm going to have my sin forgiven. That's a good thing. I'm going to come to faith and I'm going to have an eternity in heaven. The shepherd's going to lead me all through life and provide that to me. He's going to protect me. He's going to fight for me. I, there, here's the gate through which I get into the kingdom so I can go out and have life. Life to the abundance. Jesus exists to serve me. 
And that's very human and that's very natural and that sometimes is how we enter into faith. We realize our need for forgiveness. We, need our, we realize our need for reconciliation with God. But my friends, we cannot stay there. We can't, we can't live our lives in that fashion if indeed Jesus is the vine and we are the branch. And what Jesus is doing here first and foremost is getting our perspective made right. And he's saying reorient. It's time to move forward. You exist in order to do my will. You exist to be fruitful. You exist to serve my interests, my desires, my wants. Now, how do we get there? You know, it's, it's seen in the, brine and, br- vine and the, the brine. In the vine and the branches analogy, it speaks of how the, the vine and the branches are united. You know? It speaks of the fact that, that if you would, it's very hard to identify where the branch, uh, sorry, where the vine stops and the branch begins. You see, there's this organic connection between the two. What we're speaking about here really is that biblical entity, this particularly New Testament entity on our unity with Christ, that we are in him and he is in us. Throughout the whole, all the New Testament, us being in Christ, the hope of Christ being in us, the hope of glory, but also us being in him. Colossians chapter 3, you know, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. It's a spiritual dynamic, but you are in him. You are in the Godhead through him because you are in him if you indeed are a believer in Jesus. And it's through this unity, Jesus is saying, that the sap flows, that the nutrients come from the branch and come from the vine and move into the branch. And it's as the branch receives that sap, that strength, that it is enabled to be fruitful. You know, maybe the best Canadian analogy here is is maple sugar season in the spring. You know, when the, the sap flows, you can all picture that, right? And it comes from the trunk and into the branches. And what does it produce? It produces leaves so that the thing can live. Jesus is talking about a dynamic experience that we can have with him. Jesus is talking about our unified, integrated, intimate relationship with him through which we know his strength flowing into us and out into the world, his love flowing into us and out into the world. He enabling us to be fruitful, to do the things that God desires us to do. You know, Paul is very similar in this. Just say it really quickly. Philippians 2, chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself uh, for me. Christ in me. I live for that. How about Philippians, uh, Philippians 4, verse 13? I can do all things through Christ who, say it with me, if you know it, gives me strength. The flow, the spirit at work, the power of God emanating from Christ into his people out into the world, the love of God, the grace of God, transformative fruit having impact. You see, any gardener with a vine wants the the, the vine to be productive, to make impact, to give him what he wants. My friends, that's us. God is wanting something from us. He calls us to share the ministry of Christ by the grace and by the strength of Christ through the Spirit. To this end, the gardener does two things. He does two things. Old joke, why does a pastor take off, uh, what does it mean when a pastor takes off his watch? Absolutely nothing. You know. Anyway, I'll do my best. You know, the gardener does two things. Number one, he cuts off dead branches. Remember the Old Testament texts. 
references primarily to a nation which had the form of godliness but not the power. A nation which once had been filled with the Spirit of God and was used by God in order to accomplish the works of God, but in unfaithfulness it failed and it moved from being spiritually filled to being dead wood. And, you know, I could, listen, go home and read Ephesians uh, 15, 1 to 8. It talks about how God cuts it off and how it's useless after it is burned. You know, Jesus is getting the, his words from this text. My friends, I want to tell you when God's people move from being fruitful, filled with the Spirit, impacting the world by the strength and power of Jesus, the gardener cuts it off. Yet, do you know any churches which have been cut off? I do. Form of godliness, but no power thereof, the old text says. You know, I think sometimes we can overly personalize this from an individualistic perspective. I think this is primarily a corporate reality. This church could move from being filled with the Spirit and, and impactful for the kingdom of God, st strengthened by the Holy Spirit of God, showing the glory of God, transforming the world to being spiritually dry. The, the, the place could be filled with people and it might all look wonderful and oh, oh, so Christian and religious. But if the Spirit of God is not at work in and through his people, God will cut it off. See, where there is no spiritual life, God has no need for the building. That Ezekiel passage calls that wood, listen, here's the word, useless. Useless. He has no purpose for it. The gardener is not going to hold on to a branch that doesn't produce fruit. Why would he? Second thing that the gardener does is come along and he prunes good branches to make them more productive. I was going to bring my garden shears, you know, meant to do that. And, and my garden shears, you can probably picture them, but they, they have, you know, it's like this. And they, oh gee, I never hadn't thought about this. But they close and they easily, because they're sharp, they cut off a branch, right? One edge is the blade, and it's sharp. And when, when, when we read this text, and it's talking about how God prunes the, the, the branches that are alive, it sounds painful. But God does. And what he, what's being spoken of here is the fact that God allows those times of suffering and heartache and difficulty into our lives because it is through those times that he makes us more productive for him. And it can hurt but he has purpose because he's the gardener and he wants something out of us. Fruit. You know, isn't it true that those people, those people of faith who have suffered most end up being those who are most fruitful for God? Think about it. Think about it. My friends, we can be open to the work of the Spirit even in that because God will be at work and God will prune away what is unnecessary in order that we might, we might be those through whom the strength of Christ flows in powerful and significant ways. And the grace of God is given to the world and the glory of God is seen. You see, that's you and me. This is us. Do you realize, you hear what I'm saying? This is who we're called to be. This is God's purpose for you and me to display his glory <laughs> that the world might know. Well, how does this happen? It happens through us abiding, or depending on the translation, remaining in Christ. 
us remaining in Christ as he is in us. And it happens when his word, and he also said his words remain in us. You know, that word abide or remain, however it's translated in English, is used ten times in eight verses. And I want to tell you, that's significant. <laughs> he keeps saying it, abide in me, remain in me. My words abide in you, and, and, and so forth. He keeps saying it. Because this, there's, this, there's this call to us that, that if we will just abide in him, the branch connected, experiencing the unity with Jesus, that we will be fruitful. It's not an if, it's a will, right? It's not a, it's not a question if it's going to happen. Fruit will come. It'll just be who we are because God will use us. He also says if we don't abide in him, um, we will do nothing, nothing for the kingdom, for his sake. You know, I had a little staff study with, the, uh, with our staff. Who else would I have a staff study with um, several months ago? And uh, it was coming into the fall, fall season, and I was saying, you know, as we gear up for the fall and as we look to do ministry and, and, and try to make an impact even in COVID, as difficult and as challenging as it is, what is the most important thing you can do in any given day in order to be fruitful for Jesus? The one thing that we must do. What is it? Well, it's abide in Christ. It is, it is go into that unity with him. Go and experience that connection with him. Go, go, go into his presence through power. Have his word um, in your heart. Let it abide there so that it is powerful, so that it is active, so that it is influential. And I said to them, you know, we can knock ourselves out. We can work incredibly hard, but if we are not abiding in Christ, it will produce Nothing. That's what Jesus said. That's so true for all of us, as, as you wish to be that instrument through which the glory of God shines. This, this, the power of God is, is exercised. The grace of God flows. If, if there's no abiding in Christ, there'll be no, no impact. Um, and, you know, we have to figure out how to abide in Christ in a way that's really appropriate to us. The way in which we, as individual people, really find ourselves connecting with God. And different people do that in different ways. I talked to somebody on Friday. Their way is to be in nature. I don't relate to this at all. I mean, I love nature. I love the beauty of nature. It's, but, but this person goes into nature, and there they encounter Jesus. They abide in him. He speaks into their lives. There's this loving relationship that's exercised. They, they come together in unity. I had to do a little test. I did a little test uh, just this past week about what my preferred way of connecting with Jesus is. So I'll tell you what it is. You know, I know. I might as well tell you. Right? Number one, it's, it's, it's through contemplation or through prayer. There's nothing else in my life that will connect me to the pre into the presence of Jesus and relationally with him than just sitting with him, speaking with him, listening to him. And the word's often part of that. Not always. And the second thing is what, what this test called enthusiastic worship. Uh, and, I, and I thought to myself, it doesn't even have to be that enthusiastic, but it has to be real. You know, I've sat over there so many times <laughs> and tears fill my eyes because I'm so moved by God. As we sing these songs, and as we worship this God who is present to us. And the third thing, I'll only tell you three, is no surprise, I suppose, for a pastor, but caring for people. There I know God is at work. I know God is alive. God is real. The power is flowing. The love is flowing. The grace is flowing. 
Now, you all need to find out where you most connect with God so that you can abide in Jesus. So that you can abide and remain in Him. So that that, that unity can be exercised. So that love can be known. So that you are like the, the, the vine attached to the branch. And it's hard to know where one begins and the other ends. For so many people, of course, it's the devotional lifetime of, of the Word of God and of prayer. Worship. I hope, I hope your experience of worship is like mine in song. A lot of people, it's study. You know, that's another way. Some people might, you know, some people have told me, you know, I'm re- I really am here for the music, Chris. I go, thanks. <laughs> but I don't mind. Some people say, well, I don't care about the music. I'm here for your preaching. And I go, thanks. Yeah, I like to hear that. It doesn't, it's not relevant personally. What's relevant is that you're connecting with God, being filled with His Spirit, being empowered by the strength of Jesus so that you go from this place. You're just ready to change the world, man. Relationships impacted, neighbors impacted, through ministry, whether it's downtown or here. You know, God's moving, God's flowing, God's power is touching lives, changing people, changing this world of ours. If you abide in me, Jesus said, you will produce much fruit. I want to finish off. I am looking at this, by the way. Don't worry. I, I want to finish off by, by essentially going back to that idea, but what is your vision for your life? Um, what is that vision statement that you might write for yourself? Let me put it this way. What's your agenda for life? What's your goal in life? What's, what's life all about for you? What does God want for you? Uh, there may be a lot of people here who are fully aware of everything I've just spoken, but there could be people here who are somewhat oblivious to everything I've just spoken. And you're sitting there thinking, like, this life isn't for me? Ultimately, no, if you're in relationship with God. Think about it. <laughs> Our lives are for Him. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Um, and I want to tell you that uh, we have to be intentional with this if this is going to take place. You know, I was thinking that one of the most challenging things, I think, for a person to in, engage in or, or to, be, to move through is the idea of going from thinking my life, if this is not new to you, you've been here, but my life exists so that people might serve me to my life exists that I might serve people. That sounds incredibly simple, doesn't it? And by serving people, we're serving God, you see. And we become fruitful and we become impactful. But, you know, especially in this culture, to make that transition is all but impossible without God. And what it requires is this thing we call a miracle, (laughs) the direct intervention of God that we are transformed and changed. You know, the idea of, of going from someone who loves themselves, which is our natural state, life is all about me, I'm going to live for myself, I'm going to take care of myself. Even if you don't say the words, it's how people are born, it's how they think. And I'm sure to many people it would be b- bizarre to think otherwise, but the, the Lord comes along and he says, listen, it's time to stop being self-oriented and loving yourself and start loving me and because of that, loving other people. It's just like this huge reorientation that takes place in our lives. And so I could go on, you know, like the Spirit of God comes and he produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I never can get this right, but it's written here somewhere, but you know what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's character transformation. 
Can you change yourself? Can you make yourself more loving or more patient or more kind or more good or more whatever? No. It's only God by his spirit within you who will transform you so that as people interact with you, what do they see? They see the love of God. <laughs> they see patience which God has produced. They see joy in your life which has been given by God. They begin to encounter God because you've connected to the vine through, through that time of abiding and remaining in the reality of God's presence becomes visible to the world and not Israel anymore. It's us the glory of God has seen. My friends, I, I just want to encourage you in this, that this, this requires us, if you would, to take this ourselves out of the picture to be people who say, listen, listen, my life needs a reorientation and I'm going to step away from loving myself and, 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 and uh, serving myself and I'm going to become that person that Jesus calls me to be when he says, I am the true vine. And he recruits us into this thing now called the church whereby we display the glory of God to the world. And I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to be, I've said it already, I'm going to be absolutely frank. If you don't abide in Jesus, your life will be useless for God. It will. You, you, you won't he won't accomplish through you what he wishes. But listen, look at it from the other perspective. If we will abide in Jesus, <laughs> my goodness, God's going to show up. And God's going to move in power. And God's going to make impact. And we will be productive for the gardener. Fruit will just flow from us. I love the idea. I love the idea that in the end of the day, that fruit isn't something that we have to kind of intentionally work at because a vine just produces fruit. And Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will produce fruit. It's a given. And I also love, and we're going to go back to a last look at a verse, verse 16. I love one little word in this verse, and I'll point it out to you as I read it again. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Fruit that will last. And it often happens through prayer, you know. You have that, this intimacy with Jesus, all of a sudden you find yourself trusting him <laughs> and he's answering your prayers. It's craziness. But even that is an incredible mechanism through which the impact is made and the glory shines. But this little word, last, how long do you think your impact can last? I think of it as, uh, this image is, is just common to me, but of, of a pond that is just uh, uh, flat like glass, right? And you take a stone and you throw the stone into the middle of it and ripples form. you picture that with me? And essentially what we're talking about here is you are the one who lands in the middle of the pond. And you bear fruit for Jesus. You do what he's created you to do. <laughs> Through you, his power, strength, and grace flow, love. And ripples begin. Where do those ripples stop? You know, when, that says, when Jesus said, uh, you know, we will bear fruit that will last, I don't think it stops. I would suggest to you those ripples last into eternity. What do you think about that? It's like, wow, <laughs> me? You want to use me to impact eternity? See, the question is, my friends, how many people want this? How many of us long to have a life it is used meaningfully, impactfully, productively by Jesus. I'm telling you, he chose you and appointed us so that we might bear fruit 
that will last. And all we need to do is be intentional. We don't work hard at the fruit bearing. We just have to be really intentional about the abiding. Coming together with the one who loves us and who died for us. Coming together to be with in the presence of, to encounter the joy of and the grace of our Lord. Out of that, all else flows. The sap, the nutrients, it just flows, giving us life. Productivity for God. You know, I want to just finish by asking you that question. Is that what you want? And if it's what you want, what's the verse that captures that purpose for your life? What vision statement might you write that takes hold of this truth? And reminds you day after day after day, this is what I'm here for. This is what God will do through me. I'll simply abide in him. Let me pray for you. Gracious God, before you today sit dozens and dozens of people, people you have called, you've chosen, that they might bear fruit. And Lord, yes, we recognize that sometimes you as the gardener prune us and it hurts and we go through difficult, painful times, but it's Lord, so simply we might become more fruitful for you. And I would pray for each of these people, Father, gathered in your presence, we who are the church, the new Israel, following in the footsteps of Jesus, identified with him, filled by his spirit, in order to make impact in this world. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help people make that reorientation of their lives so that they come to that place where they recognize if I'm in relationship with the Almighty and Eternal God, I exist for Him, not He for me. And I pray you'd lead people to that place, Lord, with gladness and with joy. And I pray that these people gathered in your presence today will abide with you day after day after day, that <clears throat> their relationship with you be, would be central to who they are and how they live their lives, so much so that they would become those people who are incredibly productive. The fruit just comes. The impact is made for your glory. So Holy Spirit, work in us, we pray. Work in this church, Father. Help us to be that that entity through which the spiritual power of God is displayed to the world and through which the strength of Christ uh, is exercised for the, the blessing and the benefit of this world and its people. Lord, in the day I pray for every single person individually that they will hear your call and that they will choose to abide, that they will choose to live their lives so that they might accomplish what you want them to accomplish for your glory. Holy Spirit, be at work in us and use us for Jesus' sake. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Amen.